Hello, Dogalos. It is I, the Duke of Documentary, Bob Sham. Welcome to another episode of The Documenteers, a show about documentaries where we discuss a new documentary each week. Well, they're not all new. Sometimes they're years old, and other times they are brand new. But this begins our December episodes. It is Christmas time now. As you'll notice in a theme of the December episodes, and I promise that will go away by the episodes at the end of the month, and yes, we will have a Christmas episode, is that I get kind of wound up on Christmas time and um, got a weird history uh, with Christmas. And this episode kind of reveals a lot about me personally as Ginger joins me to discuss a bona fide Christmas documentary known as Tree Man from 2015, directed by Brad Rothschild and John Reiner. Now, when you search Tree Man, you'll get a lot of dudes with gnarly skin conditions. We're talking about a man named Francois from Quebec, or Quebec, Quebec, comes to New York every year, leaves his family for almost two months, and joins another family on the streets of New York. You'll probably hear my dogs walking around. I don't close my office usually when I do these intros. And as resistant as I am sometimes to the holiday spirit, I got to admit this one's a bit uh, heartwarming. Check it out. I think it's on uh, Netflix. You can watch this on Netflix. Also, my friends, might I remind you, I warned you last week, this Friday of this very week, we will be doing a special episode with Tyler Mahan Co., host of some of my favorite podcasts, Cocaine and Rhinestones, The History of Country Music. I love that fucking podcast. And the the funny and uh, dangerous, your favorite band sucks with Mark Mosley. So remember, tune in Friday. You're going to see it in your podcast feed. Tyler and I will be doing F for Fake, and I'm excited for you to hear about it. Next week on the podcast, we go into a classic Christmas documentary. We're talking about, and Stuart will be joining me. And it's long been awaited. We're finally getting to this classic Christmas documentary, Super Size Me by Morgan Spurlock. Okay, it's not a Christmas documentary, but it's one we've all seen. And what do we do every year during Christmas time? We eat a bunch of shit that is terrible for us. That's what Super Size Me is all about. Now, we all saw Super Size Me back in the day. It seems like one of those documentaries that everyone got their eyeballs on at some point. So how does that hold up over time? How does Morgan Spurlock himself hold up over time? Keep in mind we have a term, Spurlocking, and uh, it's not actually a positive term, so that should be a hint as to what's to come next week. While I do take a break from the Christmas holiday griping, it's like a whole new set of griping next week, so enjoy that. Folks, thank you for listening. If you enjoy this show, if you've listened to a lot of shows, we've got a lot of episodes out right now. We're, we almost have year one in the can. If you like the show, let me know at documenterspodcast at gmail.com. You can go on your preferred listening devices, subscribe, recommend us, rate it. Go on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars in a review. We really could use your help with that. And if you do that, then you ain't got to do shit ever again, baby. I promise I won't ask you for anything. Not even a back rub. Not even. But folks, let's get into it. Can even I resist the Christmas spirit. Well, listen to this episode and find out. Tree Man by Brad Rothschild and John Reiner. Keep on docking. Here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet. 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. The Christmas tree for me is, it's the backbone of Christmas. You're going to be the one putting the meaning in it. 
me ask you a question, Ginger. Have you ever, and I'm pulling every document here. Okay. Have you ever said Merry Christmas and someone told you not to say that? Never. 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 How many times have you heard people complain about how you can't say Christmas anymore? Well, you see it on the social media all the time. But no one's ever told you not to say Merry Christmas. No. How about that? How about it? How about it? That's a real brain stumper. Yeah. So, yeah, stop sticking rocks up your ass and uh, chill on it. Unless that's your thing to do that. We don't want to shame people who put rocks up their ass. Again, our stance is anti-king shaming. I heard what you were saying about shoving rocks up my ass. This is how I get off. This is who I am. This is what defines me. I'm never listening to your documentary podcast <laughs> ever again. And then, Sorry, sir. And then that email has a list of the favorite rocks he likes to put up his ass. I say it's a man. Why would I? Why would I just? Why assume are you it's assuming, Bobby? I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> yes, it's the holiday season. Happy is, holidays, Bobby. Thank you. And you know what? When Christmas gets here. I will wish you a Merry Christmas. And I look forward to that. Yeah. And when New Year's comes around, New Year's a superior holiday, by the way, I'll mm. wish you a Happy New Year. Okay. I look forward to that too. It is Christmas time. It is a time where we got to go out, pick our tree. And uh, I got to I gotta admit, my Grinch heart was challenged by this film. Mm, okay. Now, a lot of, do you put, when do you put up your tree? I don't want to tell you because, Cause look, it, I'll tell you, I don't care. I put it up the day after Thanksgiving. God damn it! But you know what? I value and honor Thanksgiving, Bobby. I know there are a lot of traditions where Thanksgiving night after the family has left that people will put up a tree. Personally, I just want to bask more in Thanksgiving. I, I and you know what? I can understand that. And I think that's a valid opinion and perspective. But my own personal tradition is the Friday after Thanksgiving because... This is why I love lights and sparkle, and I like to have sparkly tree up for mm. you know a full month before Christmas. Because after Christmas, your tree, you know, it's just like not as magical and fun. Angela likes putting up a tree. Uh, she doesn't do it too quickly because she doesn't want to hear me complain for <laughs> right, two weeks. Right, right. But the cats love the trees for sure. And if we don't do things for our cats, then what are we doing with our lives? You might as well be doing jack shit, nothing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's just Black Friday, really. How oh, I don't like Black Friday. How yeah. we've established this culture where if you got to work in a service industry department store, and most of jobs that are available to people are service industry jobs, that they can't rest with their families with a full belly of turkey. They got to go into Target or fucking Walmart. And, and the fact that people even want to do this, I understand the deals are good. You know, the following Monday, you can order things online for like super cheap yeah, as well. Yeah, in the well. comfort of your own home with your Christmas tree right next to you that you put up. Yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> you put up Did a you little up too <laughs> soon. <laughs> Maybe a little too soon. Is the Black Friday thing now, it's creeping into Thursday on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Is it just going to keep getting earlier and earlier and earlier? I think? hope not. I, I mean, hope not either. I've seen, you can see Christmas lights up at our nearest mall here, which is a shitty mall that's the closest to us, but you'll see Christmas lights pop up for even Halloween has showed up. And it's oh, bu- yeah. It's bizarre. Yeah, Lowe's is already putting their Christmas stuff out right now. So how can there be a war on Christmas when Christmas is sw- already successfully swallowed up Thanksgiving and is now like looking at Halloween? <laughs> it's look, It's got his eye on Halloween. It's eye on Halloween. Sure. Mm-hmm. Look, I've been warned on Christmas for years. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, 
I've not won one battle. It in is your terrible. heart, in your heart, have you won? Do you win the battle just by fighting the battle? That's the real question here. I thrash. <laughs> and then it's just a thing where the battle is me yelling and everyone else is just waiting for me to stop talking. I mean, anyone that knows you knows that this is a very deeply ingrained part of your mm-hmm. being. It's yeah. who you are. I've got to move on from this. I've got, <laughs> because this is, but it's okay to talk about Christmas. Yeah. Because it's December. And we're going to talk about trees. Trees. On Netflix, you can watch a film called Tree Man. It's directed by John Reiner and Brad Rothschild. The movie is called Tree Man. Now, I always look on YouTube first for these documentaries. I searched Tree Man. What I got was a Bangladeshi man with a severe skin condition. that looks like tree bark is growing all over his body. It's fascinating. And there's a, a dude in Indonesia that has the same issue, too. It's a very rare condition that I also found, and I'm so glad I found this. These videos have been around for a few years now, but there is an Irish musician called the Tree Man. Okay. And there are videos of him trying to play guitar, and someone's recording him, and when he gets the lick wrong... And then he goes back into trying to play it again. Fucking wrist, fuck! And it made my life. This wrist is doing my pissing engine. Shit out of fucking useless poxy fucking thing. Please, can you kind of like add in some like sound bites? Oh, that's it. That's fucking it. You know I will. (laughs) You know, you know I will. I've had it at the fucking magic fucking swamp, man. Fucking out of it. John, you just broke your guitar? I don't give a shit. In 1851, Ginger, a dude named Mark Carr cut down three dozen trees in the Catskills, and then he carted his ass up to New York City. New York City? New York City and sold them trees on the street. We read about this story while smooth jazz Christmas music plays. The thing about uh, watching documentaries that take place in the Christmas time is that the soundtracks suck because it's Christmas music. Yeah. Yeah, it always kind of prepare yourself for something real corny. Names when I go up to New England, go up northeast, visit families, go visit areas there. Because we, we enjoy places up there. You used to live in New York. I did, yeah. We noticed that. Like in the South, things are more spread out. Things aren't as congested. Well, we live in Nashville. Things are getting very mm. congested. But but if you want to take like a weekend trip, it's like, well, you could maybe get to North Carolina and then come back. But I, I like the idea of living up Northeast. If you want to take a day trip, you've got a, like a lot of options. Like 500 miles, you can 
You can go to Quebec and 500 miles from New York City. That's a yeah. that's a day train ride. That's not bad at all. I know, and I can't believe that I never did it when I lived in New York City. I could have, and I just never did. You had that southern brain where it's like... I can't go there. Yeah, it, yeah. it takes three hours to get to Memphis, you know. Where's my wagon? Where's my wagon? <laughs> I got. I don't have enough feed for the horses. Yeah. Hey, y'all, what's the pizzas? What's the good pizzas here? <laughs> Is that what you said on your first day living in New York? Yeah. Well, hey, y'all, what's the good pizzas here? I just walked out into the street and said it to just passersby. Y'all got fried chicken pizza? (laughs) (laughs) But we meet a man, a tree man, you could call him, Francois. He's the tree man because he sells trees. Uh, He goes through all his kids' names. Ophelia, seven years old. Emmerich Jack, five years old. And Penelope, which is two years old. But is one kid named Thinnut? Penelope. Something like that. Thinnut. Penelope. But they're Canadian. They're French Canadian. And this is beautiful. I mean, we're seeing some like beautiful scenery. And I mean, Quebec is a, is a beautiful area. Yeah. They live like on an ice lake or something too, apparently. He says that some people don't believe that this is a job or like a viable job. That you take trees, you go to New York, and you sell them on the streets. I got to say... Christmas in New York does look pretty magical. It really is. This film actually made me feel very homesick, I have to say. For for the New York livings. Yeah, I mean, it just felt it felt so familiar and the, the scenery and just I remember these Christmas tree stands. I remember that. That's always always like a really like a real marker for like the beginning of the season. It was nice. Uh, Francois says, I sometimes think this is the uh, last time I might see my family every time he goes and makes his journey to New York City. And, <laughs> and his wife's like, hey. She looks at him. She like kind of gives him a little slap on the arm. And she's like, hey. Like, hey. I, I can't believe you said that. Uh, he, he could fly off a cliff uh, driving through the Catskills. Who knows? He has a van. He calls it Elvis. He's kissing the family goodbye, and mom, as he drives away, mom is holding the kids. They're very upset. And he's got young children, but they're growing. Even the dog, I think, is kind of like whining and crying. It's, it's kind of revealed to us as the documentary goes on, as we learn more about him and, and this process, why it's so important and why it's like such a significant sort of event for him. Yeah. But at this point, his van's just driving off, and I'm like, bro, where are the trees? I thought the same thing. It's like, I don't see the fucking trees. Right. He's driving on so- snow-covered streets on the way through the Catskills. The streets are covered in snow. This is how Southern I am. I see him driving on snow-covered streets, and I'm like, how are you just rolling like that? How are, <laughs> why aren't you like, oh, God? Because let me tell you, folks, a lot of people have a lot, a lot to say about the South. It has its stereotypes. There are people who will play into those stereotypes. But we're also, much like every place else, people with our own nuances and feelings of things. If you come into Nashville, you might discover it's a lot more liberal than a lot of places surrounding it, for example. Mm -hmm. But if there's one thing that is true of all native Southerners, is that when it snows, we freak the fuck out. Oh, girl, I'm I'm just nervous. I know it's going to be bad. I'm telling you, I know we're going to get another 93. No, we do not know how to drive in snow. I don't know how to drive in snow. I went to Wisconsin in the winter one year when I was younger. I saw that people were like walking on a lake. It was the middle of winter. People were walking on this big lake, snowmobiling, some pond hockey. And even though I saw people doing it, no. <laughs> That's unnatural. You don't walk on, like, <laughs> it could hold a snowmobile, but I could not trust it to hold me. Mm-mm. He's driving through the Adirondacks. 
he talks about the spirit of the mountains and he's thinking of his father and a friend that he lost. Francois gets very emotional. He's a very his his emotions are on the surface, this guy. And he you could tell that he connects so strongly to everything around him. Family, of course, but going through the Adirondacks, it signifies what he's leaving behind. Because Quebec is behind him. You hit those Adirondacks, you're entering the States. Yeah, it's like a literal fence for him between his home life and like his sort of like life that he's about to have for the following months. And like I keep saying, like we sort of see why this is such a poignant moment for him. He's really embarking on a journey. He's going to be away from his family for a month, which may not seem like a long time, but you know, and kind of doing what he's going to be doing and the conditions, it's a long time and it's a completely different world. And so we can kind of understand why he's having this very emotional reaction. It's sort of like he's like, he's having to sort of like reset himself in a way, be a different person. He says he's sad because I think about people I don't see anymore. He's an hour away as he calls his associate, Jason. And he tells Jason, Can't wait to see you, man. They have a very connected relationship here. Mm -hmm. His bros that he works with down here. And I think a lot of what keeps him in this business is the obligation he feels towards them. He works with some native New Yorkers who have different backgrounds. They're not, they're working class people in a city that's very expensive to live in. Mm. They each have their troubles and trying to deal with things. In this movie, we meet a blend of people that it's very fascinating how the neighborhood connects with them. We meet a blend of people that are both, you can tell they've lived there for a long time. They got a rent controlled scenario. And then other people that are just, you can tell just have a lot of privilege. Mm -hmm. And you see how this dynamic affects people like Jason and his friend when they're carrying trees to apartments and condos to set up for people. Yeah, the class disparity in New York is really unique, I feel like, because you have people that are the very rich living inches away from the very poor and they're and they're intermingling daily. I mean, in daily interactions, like on the street and like even sometimes in the same building, you'll have like a very expensive apartment, a lower income apartment, maybe in the same place. So not that there aren't other places like that, but it's, I feel like I haven't seen many places that are specifically like that in in New York. So, so yeah. we do see that kind of play out a little bit it's in an unexpected way, I think. The melting pot nature of New York. I mean, it's the biggest city in the country. There's over 8 million people that live there. It's yeah. not as easy for that place as other cities is to hide its poverty. Mm -hmm. And it's all, like you said, it's stacked on top of each other. That's a very New York thing that you don't see in other cities. I remember when I went to like DC when I was very young, it was amazing to me how the Capitol building's right there. Two blocks is like project housing and abject poverty. And then I went back a few years ago, well into my adulthood, all that stuff, all those impoverished areas that used to be by the Capitol building, you can see that they've been redone. A lot have been torn down. The gentrification is like taking over. And in New York, it's, I know you lived there in that post Giuliani era where a lot of Times Square became very commercialized. And then you're starting to get the New York that we know it today. While it is a little safer than it was in like the 80s and the 70s, there's just no way for people to, unless they've been there for so long, to really make their bones if they come in there. And I remember when I visited New York, I would look at the working people, the people on the streets who are doing the labor and a lot of people looked like they were carrying the planet mm -hmm. on their shoulders that's where the dream is just wearing on them oh yeah yeah and and we see that play out because yeah there are the people that are i mean they're working 
three jobs to support themselves and their families, but they also have, they do have lives, they have goals, they have dreams. A few of these guys that become a part of Francois's crew who are really working towards something, they're really working hard and they have a lot of heart and a lot of interest in doing something else. You don't always get to really see that. You just kind of see the struggle just like you only get to see like benefits of riches. Francois arrives in New York. He meets up with Angel. Love Angel. Angel is often a night watchman, uh, but every year he works with Francois selling Christmas trees. And Jason, his assistant. Mm -hmm. He took Jason on when Jason was very young. Jason approached him and asked to work for him. Jason did not grow up with a consistent father figure. And Francois filled that void every year. Francois sacrifices time during the holidays with his own children, but he gives that to Jason. And it's acknowledged by both that they are, that they both care about each other very much. Mm -hmm. And Jason is, in Francois's eyes, he treats him literally like a son. And Jason's mother, she talked about how at first it seemed kind of odd. She, now that Jason has grown, she realizes how so incredibly grateful for Francois's guidance uh, in Jason's life. And Francois, he's not like, we're buddies. It's like, he really does talk to him like he's his father. And if he does something he doesn't like, he sets him down. He's like, you got to do it like this. You got to do it like this. And if Jason disappoints him, Francois will tell him. Actually very touching. At this point, I'm still like, where are the trees? <laughs> and I think they're kind of like, where are the trees? Yeah. We don't see their faces, but we get some time-lapsing footage of them setting up the tree stand. And we hear voices of people in the neighborhood talking about Francois and how when he hears that wood being hammered and the smell of the pines, it makes it feel like home. And at first I was, because like I said, it's a Christmas <laughs> movie. I'm trying to push on it. But I like the way it didn't just do the camera on the face of all the people talking. I like that it had this testimony of people while you're watching these men work. Yeah. I actually thought it was a very creative approach. Mm -hmm. And whereas if you weren't thinking about it, you would have just thought to just stick a camera in someone's face. But this movie didn't take that route. I got to give it credit for that. Yeah, I agree. The neighborhood comes out to say hello and we meet uh, Jill. And Jill, uh, I think Jill is pretty sweet. They Jill's call him Frank. Sweetheart. Yeah. Well, I think she's pretty sweet on Frank. Oh, a little bit, yeah. And uh, Jill is like, oh, Frank, you can come take a shower in my apartment. You're my favorite. You're I my love favorite. you. I love yeah. you. You need to lay your head. Is your erection cold? <laughs> no, is your erection cold, Frank? No. I love you. And uh, <laughs> the Thanksgiving Day Parade. That that was a tradition uh, growing up on Thanksgiving is that was we watching. would watch okay. the parade. I love the Spider-Man balloon. Mm -hmm. Always been one of my favorites. We also see a clip of Jill and her daughter celebrating Hanukkah, doing the menorah rituals. And then we see the lighting of the world's largest menorah, which I had no idea yeah. happened in New York City, and that was thrilling to me. Of course, where else would where the else lighting would be, of the largest menorah take uh, place? Yeah, I just wish that I had, I had seen it. We need Hanukkah's help to mm. provide more of a buffer between Christmas and Thanksgiving. And shout out to uh, the Jewish people, the people of the Jewish faith. We need your help. 
You're inviting them to make Hanukkah now, more of a thing. They're going to have the way that uh, Christmas has been set up and ultra consumerized. We need to inject that into to Hanukkah. Now, this is just my goyim opinion, but we need to figure out how to make Hanukkah streamlined. I know the Hanukkah is tied into religious ceremony. We can't expect our goyim mouths to do those prayers and sing those songs properly, but we could do certain things. You know, on on each of those days, you can make it more and more pumped up funky party hanukkah party bring us along we can put that buffer we could put christmas in its place once and for all i need to move on i could talk about this for an hour mm, okay sounds like you're hanukkah them out <laughs> hanukkah it out. i like that when the guy's lighting the largest menorah he's trying to get the crowd into it he's the rabbi pumping them up yeah, I can't hear you. <laughs> you need that guy <laughs> on your side. Now, the tr yeah, I need that rabbi. Rabbis, hear me out. Reach out. Let's do this. Then the trees show up. They were delayed from North Carolina. Yeah. Now, that's a tree job. The guy that cuts down the trees in North Carolina and drives them up to New York. And there's a big ass truck with a shit ton of trees on it. And we see people like literally like throwing trees off the side, like huh? chuck this tree right over the side, not yeah. the street. And then they play this this weird Christmas novelty song, and the film fills the need to play the entire song. Outside, it's positively balmy. In the air, nary a nip. Suddenly, it's Christmas. Unbutton and unzip. Over of a montage of setting up Christmas tree stands and New York holiday sites. I gotta say, I'm not saying I dislike this movie. In fact, I'll go ahead and say I liked it. You really need to play the whole fucking song? Christmas carols in December and November too. It's no wonder we're depressed when the whole thing is through. They felt the need. Now, Francois is not the only tree salesman we meet. We meet a various assortment of tree people, tree men and tree woman. And I did not know this, but no, most tree salesmen are Canadian. Yeah. And Quebecians, like Francois, are a common sight to see and hear on the streets of New York around the holidays. Most of the people we meet who are selling trees are not from New York City. A lot of people from Canada, Quebec. Vermont. Vermont, yep. a lot of people from New England. And we meet one, a couple of dudes that are actually from New York City that sell trees. And one guy talks about like, I ain't sleeping in my van. I ain't sleeping in no van. I ain't sleeping in my van. Hi. It's like, well, you live in the city, moron. Why would you sleep in your, they have to sleep in right. their vans. No one's telling you to sleep in no your van. No one's asking you to sleep in your van. Yeah, you fucking New Yorker. Rich and Chris. Overrated ass city. I will say that their, <laughs> that their um, stand is on Columbus and 81st, which is like, like right near the Natural History Museum. That's a. That's a real sweet yeah. spot, you get I that. would imagine. You, I wonder how many tourists buy Christmas trees off the New York streets just for the experience of it. You know, they might in, like their, in their fancy hotel room, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. I were loaded, I think I would live in New York for the month of Christmas. It yeah. seems like fun. It would be fun to live in New York, period, That might make person. It might make me... I don't want to live in New York permanently. I guess I could go live in the Bronx or something. You could, yeah. Queens was nice. We liked Queens. Yeah, yeah. You. Oh, yeah, you lived in Queens. Yeah. I visited and you Brooklyn. guys there. Yep. Queens was nice. I liked, uh, liked that part of town. Mm -hmm. New York is a great place. I do think it's a little overrated the way it's built up, but that's not the same thing as saying I don't like it. Okay, okay. So just... As long as we've established I'm that. just reacting to the hyperbole. <laughs> The city is fine, and it's a lot of fun. We got a mother and son tree sellers. They don't work together. They work on different blocks. And we see people 
starting their own neighborhood traditions with Francois. People coming in and uh, they're buying trees from Francois. And you see couples and families with kids and the kids are slowly growing up buying trees from Francois. Someone talks about how there's a village aspect to Mm -hmm. it per neighborhood. And New York, a major city, but also feels like a bunch of small towns, like a thousand small towns crammed up next to each other. Because there's so much going on in it that in just in a, like in, four square blocks you can probably find everything you need in that environment yeah it's true and you know that's one of the things that i miss the most about living there is that there really is a a community feeling like you know we lived in our area like we had you know certain spots we would go we knew the people working there like on a first name basis and like having really good conversations and like you just had like these connections in your neighborhood i don't have that here really we don't live in a place where we're like really interacting with our neighbors and in our environment as much as you do in New York. Yeah. So that to me was really nice. And, it, you know, and I kind of talked before about like the class disparity, but there's also something really beautiful that happens like where you do see in neighborhoods, you do see those ultra rich people sometimes interacting with the people that are not so rich. Yeah. And there is still that sense of community. And so I think that I think that this documentary kind of captured that in a really nice way. Yeah. And this also takes place on Manhattan. Yeah. Which is the the extreme version of what we're talking about in terms of the gilded and expensive nature. Like you said, people make their way in Queens, uh, maybe at one point Brooklyn. There's still parts of Brooklyn and like the Bronx and places like Staten Island and places like that. If I was moving to the city, I'm I'm not even going to, I would not bother to look at places in Manhattan. No. Yeah. I mean, unless you were, yeah. And I love that rent controlled aspect, that aspect that helps working people stay have housing in such expensive places. It'd be great to have something like that for people here in Nashville. But I just think it's in places like New York where it kind of had to be that way or else no one would live in Manhattan or be there to work. And kind of what you end up saying, and this is not really relevant, but what you end up saying, especially like in in Queens and Brooklyn and in a place like that, the more affordable places, like people flood, like artists and young people, you know, sometimes even people with money, you know, flood into those areas because because it's affordable and because it's like, you know, kind of like cool and unknown and stuff. And that's how it sort of ends up being built up and gentrified and like yeah. not and not necessarily a, always a positive way. You know, it was interesting you were talking about how um, around here where we're from in the South, you're, you're a little bit more outside of Nashville. And I'm in a, like a little, I'm in Nashville, but it's more of a suburby place. How that neighbor connection really isn't that strong. And I think there's a lot of assumptions in the South that everyone's just kind of talking to each other. And I grew up in a very country environment where we did have neighbors. It was spread out. We're not on top of each other like in New York. People knew each other, but people were also kind of shitty to each other. Yeah. Like in the South, if you grew up in a rural environment, the worst thing, if you really want people to hate your guts, just sit in your house and mind your own business and don't talk to anybody. <laughs> That's a good way to make a lot of people out in these kind of environments dislike you. Drew and I touched base on this when we discussed Winning Time, the Reggie Miller and the Nick story, where they presented New York as the city of great sin and the people in uh, Indiana is like good, wholesome folks. And that makes me laugh as someone who grew up in these kind of backwoods environments, this idea that you're from the country that makes you a wholesome person, it's like the biggest bunch of crock of bullshit ever. And one positive thing I can say about New York that I thought defied all its stereotypes when I visited was this idea that people were rude or that people wouldn't be helpful to you. I think maybe if you're not from there and you're and you're from, you know, in the South, people are slower 
that night that politeness is just kind of like a reaction it's that we're all trained and maybe when people are talking to you they say more words than need to be but if you go in new york people are like right to the point but that's not the same thing as being rude or Absolutely unfriendly not. i think new yorkers in that regard they get a bad rap and honestly i've been to chicago several times i met some royal fucking assholes in that town <laughs> The some of the nicest strangers I've encountered have been in New York. Who there are people who are willing to help you oh, if you ask them. Absolutely, and not even having to be asked. It's a, it's a different sort of attitude and mindset. People really just kind of mind their own business and like don't do like extraneous chatting with people. Like yeah. you know, I think there's a lot of like fake niceness here and fake politeness. How yeah. you doing? Bless your heart. How you doing, darling? And I I don't think that's it comes really from always a real place it doesn't mean that they like you when they right. say that because it's so battle battered into your brain you, they're just doing it without thinking it bless your heart means fuck this tramp <laughs> sometimes or like what a pathetic miscreant human being it's just habit it's not politeness and it can sound like politeness from people who aren't from here and i'm not i don't even mean to shit on southern people i think right. we yeah, have our, i'm i'm a proud southerner i'm a native southerner i'm a Me proud too. southerner and I don't mind being from the South. And if I could help it, I wouldn't mind dying in the South. But I just reject any idea that one place is pure and this place isn't. I think it just comes from a lack of understanding. Sure, there are plenty of assholes in New York. Oh, yeah. But I'm just saying there are assholes where we're from, too. Yeah, and I think overall it's just like there's a real misconception that this sort of like, you know, New York sort of attitude where I'm going to mind my own business and kind of like focus and do my own thing and not always like make eye contact and say yeah. hello to every single person that passes by people perceive that incorrectly as being rude when yeah. when really like like you said people are just willing to help you out all the time i mean that that's like that was like the thing that i noticed the most is like how actually friendly and giving people really were there and they just might be loud but don't confuse right. that as <laughs> yeah you know as a southerner i'm I can be interpreted as a little uptight. Like I'm not always emotionally giving with my fellow Southerners when I go out into the world. There is something fun about Southerners, how they'll maybe explain a lot to you about themselves and they when they barely know you. Yeah. <laughs> there is something charming about that. I found that I could be very cold in my native environment. But when I travel and when I leave the South and I go to other places that are culturally a little different, I suddenly become more Southern. Like I become like representative of where I'm from. I do ultimately like where I'm from, where I'm from, and I want to represent it in a positive way. In a positive way. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. And I know that you know politically and socially, I have a lot of opinions that are outside the stereotypes of what people expect of Southerners, and it's important to me to represent how I feel about things. So I like that. You go, girl. Fuck yeah, go girl, me. Go me. Go you. We meet Elizabeth. That's Jason's mom. We talked about her earlier. She talks about how at 12, Jason showed up at the tree stand and Francois took him in. And she said that at one point, she said that, Mom, I wish I had a dad like Frank. She said that bothered her at first, but but actually it was a very sweet thing. And we meet uh, Jason's friend, Nelson. Nelson's kind of, he's a silly boy, and he, but he's also kind of shy. We see him doing a shopping cart derby with Jason. Oh, that was a hilarious scene. I loved, I love that. These are young men. These are like young adults. I would say what, they're maybe like 18 or 19. And yeah. I don't know if you noticed, but they were both wearing matching Quebec yeah. hats. It was so sweet <laughs> because of Francois, and they just look up to him so much, and I just thought that was really sweet. And we see Nelson bringing a tree. What I assume is a relative 
that he just just looked like a single parent household. Yeah, I couldn't tell if that was maybe you know an uncle or or his dad. I mean, he talks about not having a great relationship with his dad, and that for him, for Nelson also that Francois has sort of become a father figure to him as well. Um, so yeah, we see Nelson come home with this tree, and he's kind of decorating, putting it to, putting it up with this older man that's that i guess lives in the house with him and it's a really sweet moment he's they're putting the star on and yeah. trying to get it all lit up and everything and you can tell he's got a lot of pride in the tree and and it really means a lot to him to have it we meet other people in the neighborhood who weave in and out of francois's tree stand we meet a man named costello i loved costello how, a, how sharp of a guy was he I yeah just loved him so he's much. an urban landscaper and francois he gives him all the pine scraps that he cuts off of trees every year i take all the clippings that he throws to the side that he consider garbage but i consider a treasure and what i do with these branches i put them around the tree wells in my neighborhood so that it creates a very green effect all year long. Looks great. I mean, it was really nice, and he's just, like, so into it, and, and I thought that was just really cool. And it works because the pine branches will just decompose into the bed, so it's no big deal. We talked to Angel, and he's he's been going through some shit, like some custody stuff, and he's trying to work out Christmas with his kids because his wife and he and his wife had divorced, and this house feels very empty. I want, to, I want them to be better than... What I could do, what I did, you know, I want them to finish, go to college. Open. Crossing my fingers. Angel wears his heart on his sleeve. <sighs> it seems like Angel is often on the verge of tears when we're talking to him. You can tell he's been going through a lot and he really cares about his kids and he really needs to make money. He really does represent that native aspect of New York. Absolutely. That is really yeah. trying hard to make it work. I'm actually getting tears in my eyes right now. This was, I, I texted Bobby when I was watching this. This this part was very emotional to me because he, you, like Bobby said, you could see that his family was really important to him. You know, he's got his kids with him right now. They're picking at a Christmas tree, but, you know, his, their mother calls and, you know, there's, there's some debate whether or not they're going to be able to spend time with him for the holiday. And, you know, he's kind of trying to put a brave face on. They, he, they've moved to Pennsylvania to get a better education, hopefully go to college, have a better life. But it's incredibly hard for him. He hears them playing in the next room and they're not there. He just hopes for the best for them. And he just keeps working hard trying to, to support them, even though it's difficult to be away from them. Yeah. We meet Lou. He's the pizza man. That's where Francois, it's, a, it's Francois's friend because there's a pizza joint right there. I mean, it's New York. There's a pizza joint right there <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. And Francois is getting in a slice of Lou's talking about how he doesn't really see the pizza place as his. He works at Sal and Carmine's, but he's kind of inherited. It's someone else's dream. It's kind of weird. He seems very matter of fact, but also slightly bitter for having to kind of do his parents' dreams. Yeah, I can sense that a little bit. It's, that's very interesting um, when you see people, I mean, there's people I know who are gradually going into the footsteps of the careers that came before and how they're having, sometimes there's like an existential thing about it, but then you got people who you see friends or me, for example, who don't come from a background of success. And it, it is when you're looking at that, it, how it could be very hard to understand. And I can, I guess I could see the annoyance of living someone else's dreams. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it like that. Because, you know, you can see kind of both both sides. You know, you have a person yeah. that wants to carve their own way. They have their own goals and their own interests. 
But at the same time, the only reason they have everything that they have is because of their family and this and this pathway that their family has chosen for themselves and for you know this person that's now taking over. That's interesting. That struggle there. And yeah, and like people who don't come from success will often are trying to. It's hard for them to kind of see it because they're having to go out for these jobs and kind of do a song and dance to get in on someone else's dream. New York, man, it's a fascinating <laughs> fucking place. Yeah. I mean, even though it sounded like I was kind of complaining about it in some ways, <laughs> it really is an amazing town. And, and it's a great place to kind of think about everything that's going on in this country. And if you can somehow deal with it in this major hub. I think that extends some hope to making things work in other places as well. But boy, it's just hard. Everyone knows Frank, though. Everyone knows Frank. Jill, we go back to Jill. Hi, Frank. <laughs> Is your erection cold? Oh, God. Jill talks about how she was a, a, a German Jewish girl and her parents put her in a convent to escape the Nazis. So she actually grew up in like... Yeah, she was born in, in Hitler-occupied Holland in 1941. Wow. Yeah, and then was sent to live in a convent. And what? because of that, she says she's kind of like developed this sort of open heart to all all these people. The Christmas stuff, yeah. Yeah, and then all of her, like her friends and family don't understand how, how on earth she could open up her home to a stranger. But she's like... Frank's not a stranger to me. I don't yeah, know yeah. what kind of accent that was, but um, Frank, you know. like your accent, Frank. <laughs> and she says that she, you know, that she opens her home up to other people like Frank that that maybe sell trees as well, and maybe yeah. maybe some other like maybe homeless people. Who who really knows? So she does seem like a giving person. Yeah. But I'll, I'll say, you know, she seems a little sweet. Yeah. On Frank, I love you a bit. But you can't blame her because Frank is. I mean, if Frank wasn't married. He'd be quite a catch. He's a he's a loyal man. He's a caring man. He appreciates humanity. You can tell that. He's very emotional. He can be a very touching guy. I can see why uh, a single uh, a lady living alone in a New York apartment might want um, her uh, her sheets warmed by by a sweet, sensitive Quebecian. Gosh, get a room, Bobby. Oh, Frank. Some tree sellers are telling us that it seems a little tough this season. Mm -hmm. Oh, I should point out. Like we were at the Thanksgiving Day Parade, Francois arrives a little before Thanksgiving. Now, yeah, what did you think about that, Bobby? That's a long time to set up. He's away from his family for a very long time. But we see Francois going to the van, setting up his pallet. He sleeps in his van. Yeah. That van does not move. It arrives. They set it up, and it stays there. And that's where he's camped. And they set up this kind of neat, like little workshop area that I thought seemed kind of nice. It has like some lights and like a little coffee pot and like mm. a little area to sort of like put together little decorations and stuff. Yeah. And it, it seems like a little cozy spot. There was a scene where Jason lifts the tree and the end of it whacks Nelson in the head. Oh, yeah. Just It's a small scene. I just thought it was funny though. It's cute, yeah. Jason, he talks about, he, you get, bitterness is setting it in terms of, uh, he's not angry at Francois, but he's doing this same hustle and he kind of wants more things for himself. He yeah. says, I'm, I'm trying to uh, to get to that apartment that overlooks the Hudson and has the fancy uh, bathroom. But uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's very discouraging when it's snowing and you're carrying someone else's Christmas tree and they kick you out like 10 minutes afterwards. You gotta go back out into the snow and stuff, so. It's interesting what he, attributes as making it 
from that native New Yorker's perspective. He wants the apartment overlooking the Hudson. Don't we all? Yeah. Honestly. (laughs) I mean, I know I do. You know, he gets invited into these people's lives, into their homes very briefly. These, These fantastic, beautiful, expensive homes that otherwise he would never dream of being able to even see. Would never be invited in in any other capacity. And, you know, he knows kind of in his heart that there's a, you know, he plays a very specific role in this, you know, and, and, you know, his kind of like access to this is very limited, but it kind of only fuels him to sort of like want more out of life. I thought that was really interesting. He seems like a very self-aware young man. You could tell that the, the socioeconomic weight of things is bearing on to him. He's really feeling it. In a lot of ways, I mean, I don't think I had this much desire when I was Jason's age. I think I started thinking about a lot of what he's thinking about later in life because at his age, I was just high and drunk and (laughs) I really didn't have any plans. I mean, we're in a house that my wife and I worked to save up to get into. It wasn't something that we could just do at the drop of a hat. And it's something that I'm very proud of. But when I was Jason's age, I never would have pictured myself in this type of environment. Like it just, I was consigned to the fact that it probably would never happen. I almost expected to be like a vagabond, Mm. but I ended up kind of settling in a lot more than I ever thought I would. He also has a mom he wants to help out too. So I I really connected with Jason and his desire to kind of rise above uh, where he feels he comes from. We meet Marie. She's a floral designer. (laughs) She's one of those, she's Southern. You could hear it in her voice. Yeah. yeah Marie yeah, yeah. is Southern. She's from somewhere, mm-hmm. somewhere down south of South of Maryland. But she's married to a wealthy man in a nice New York City apartment. And they're talking about their tree that they're setting up. That's oh, for a client. Do what? That's for a client. Oh, for a client. Yeah. So she was setting up the tree, like decorating it for a client. She was buying this giant tree for yeah, her client. For their, for their apartment. That's the apartment that we see is like her client. Yeah. So she was decorating it yeah. for the client. Yeah. The client can't, you can't be bothered to put ornaments on your own fucking tree. You would be surprised at what rich people will pay other people to do. But and like, she says that they, this, this tree is only going to be up for four days. It's like a nine or 11 foot, it's an 11 foot tree. Yeah. She's like, I don't know what's going to happen to it. Probably just thrown away. I have friends that were nannies for very rich people in new york and like we had you know kind of some contact peripherally with rich people i mean it's it's really mind if i told angela after she was setting up the tree because i don't touch the trees (laughs) i've always begged for a tree growing up and my grandma we had one real one in my childhood and it was beautiful beautiful tree i loved it but for some reason, I think, you know, my family is not without tragedies. My grandmother's been through some tragedies. And I think after a certain tragedy when I was young that she just didn't want to, like, do anything anymore. She didn't want to put up any tree. I would always ask for a tree, and she never wanted to put it up. When I got older, I just kind of got locked into it. Like, you know what? This season, it just it reminded her of, like, bad things. And it reminds me of her dealing with that. Even to this day, I'm like... I don't really want to touch the tree. Some personal shit here on the documentary. Yeah, that makes sense. And I just kind of exposed a lot of my feelings on why I feel the way I do about Christmas. But Angela does put up the Christmas tree. She still loves it. And and if I went up to Angela, I was like, hey, how about we just pay someone to put the decorations on the tree this year? (laughs) She would look at me like I was fucking insane. 
why do it if you're not going to take that time to do it yourself? Because that's what it's all about to her. And that's what she likes doing about it. She would, Me too. She'd laugh in my face if I was like, oh, let's uh, pay someone to do it. Like, why do it at all? And then only have it up for four days. That's what I mean. You know, and I'll just tell like a brief, just a brief, another example. Like I worked for this guy who was talking, he's like a trust fund guy. I mean, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that, but I'm just saying- I'm that jealous of trust fund people. I'm just saying that he had, he had like- extra money on top of like what he was making his ends work anyway he would talk about how he would order room service not room service delivery like food delivery from downstairs like a steak place he would order like a 50 60 steak and a lot of times if it if it came to him and it was like even slightly cold he would just throw it away and just order another one is this in new york this is in new york just go down the street there's someone on the streets hand him your food the, just the mindset, it's just kind of wasteful, like, voila, money's just growing our, out of my butt. You know, our, <laughs> it's just- our society is propping up this attitude, this privileged attitude. No one likes poor people. Even our society is even set up to where even poor people don't fucking like poor yeah. people. It's an epidemic. Yeah, it's it's messed up. We've gutted our middle class. I'm legitimately worried for our future if we don't somehow invigorate the pocketbooks of working people and help poor people get out of their situations. People should be shamed for that kind of behavior. Yeah. And, you know, and to bring it back to the documentary, I feel like it was interesting the way they kind of like added this piece in with Marie decorating this, this rich client's home. They weren't really showing it like it was like cool or made sense. Like they weren't like shining like a necessarily a positive light on it. Yeah. It was all like, they kind of like added in real quick, and to me, anyway, it sort of seemed like they were sort of showcasing the absurdity of doing something like that. So I did appreciate that, that they weren't saying, oh, that's cool that these people can do that. They weren't really mm-hmm. they weren't really saying that that was like a yeah. great way to right. do the Christmas spirit. But here in Nashville, we have no shortage of very wealthy people being propped up. Nashville has no shortage of of uh, obnoxious people who throw it out their stakes that are slightly too cold. Yeah, a lot of entitled people. We, it, you know, no places like New York, but Nashville has very similar problems in its own way. Absolutely. One of the tree men that we talked to, that's not Francois, he's walking outside of a Whole Foods. Whole Foods is selling trees. They're all one side. And he's shading on Whole Foods. It's like, you know what? You might like have these nice deals on trees, but if you want a big tree, a real tree, you got to go to people like me. <laughs> Yeah, he says that he has had, because of the Whole Foods doing this, he's had to cut his prices for the specific size that Whole Foods sells to, like, compete with them. You know, knowing that the people can get, like, a bigger or smaller tree if they want to, but, you know, obviously Whole Foods has, has impacted his business so yeah. much that he has had to adjust his pricing. How expensive are those street trees if they're <laughs> having to cut down to Whole Food prices? They don't really say, do they? They don't really talk about how yeah, yeah. they are. You, you, I saw one person look like they were counting out several 20s. Yeah. Uh, I think Nelson sells a tree for 60 bucks. But I don't think Francois is too happy about that. He, say, he says, oh, Nelson's giving you a deal. I'm more expensive than that. Yeah. But I wrote my notes, suck a dick, Whole Foods. <laughs> I, it felt very good to write that down. Angela wasn't watching this movie with me, but when this scene came on, I said, Angela, come here. Oh, I know which scene you're going to talk about. Because we meet a blind shih tzu <laughs> yeah. wearing a little coat by the name of Bailey Jackson. This is Bailey Jackson, and my dog is blind. But every year when Francois comes out with all the Christmas trees, he gets really excited and starts running down the street because he can smell and he loves these guys. During the holidays, this is his favorite street to come up and down. He drags me down the street. 
Every day we go for a walk. <laughs> We have a Shih Tzu. It's we love the dog, but it's our worst dog because Shih Tzus are high maintenance, folks. <laughs> unless you want to cut clumps of shit hair out of a dog's asshole, our dog wants to uh, destroy every groomer, so it's very hard <laughs> to give him a consistent hairdresser. The owner says that Bailey can smell Francois's trees every year, and Bailey gets super excited because Francois loves all people, including blind Shih Tzus. And, the, and Bailey runs down the streets and goes and gets so excited to, to play around the trees and stuff. And he wears little snow boots. Yeah. He's the cutest. It was adorable. Yeah, it really was. For sure. Aww. Angela thanked me for showing her that scene. <laughs> One night, Jason shows up late. Jason feels bad. Francois is upset. They also call him Frank when he's in New York. Yeah. And Nelson is a little pissed. Because he had to work more without Jason, and Jason is his best friend, and he felt a little abandoned. Aww. And I'm not saying, I'm not making fun of Nelson for saying this. I thought it was really cute, but he was talking about how, you know, Frank was a little bit mad, and Nelson says that, he says, we betrayed him. We betrayed him. We betrayed him. Yeah. We betrayed him. It was really, it was sweet, you know, they were, they were concerned about upsetting Frank. We betrayed him. And now uh, Frank is like, yeah, I mean, it really is like a parent-son relationship. He said, we're going to yell at each other a little bit. It might be a little tense, but we will get over it and we'll move forward. We see Frank Skyping with the family and... Frank's wife says that the son has been acting a little different. He's getting a little older, and uh, it is kind of affected him. And Frank is getting very emotional. He says these days are long and tough. We see more of Nelson and Jason goofing on carts, <laughs> crashing trees, wrestling around to the ground. They make it a lot of fun. It just kind of reminds us that they're kids, you know, they're yeah. not, they're not like adults that are doing this. They're, they're kids, they're friends, they're having fun and like a little family business. You know, that feeling of being, this didn't happen to me often. You know, I didn't, it's not like I went out and partied a lot in New York, but you are really exposed, especially if you travel away from like, you know, I lived in Queens. If I went to Manhattan and I stayed out late and I had to come home and I'd, you know, it's not like I was drinking all the time or anything, but you have some drinks. You have to take the subway, you know, by yourself, you have to walk and, I generally felt pretty safe, but you know, you're covering some ground yeah. in like a vulnerable state. And I was like seeing this guy like, man, I hope he's going to be okay. He's not having to go too far. Right. Like that. <laughs> Frank reveals, and this is, he says that he's never picked a tree with his own family. Yeah. He must make some great money. He must to be yeah willing to kind of do this every year. He said he thought about quitting two years ago, but I think he feels obliged to help out the people he does and also i think he'd legitimately miss people like jason and angel if he's one yeah. year did not see them i think absolutely i mean they they have really become his family there they depend on each other and i mean they have really you know developed very close bond with one another like they're i mean it's, it's a real family situation he says he'll pick a tree with his family someday but today someone's got to do his job he says, it's a part of my identity. And coming to New York, it does feel like I'm coming home. Christmas Day arrives. But before he leaves, we get there. They tell us how Francois got mad at Jason and Nelson for not taking it seriously enough. Yeah. Because it was shutting down. He says, I think of them as much older than they really are. He asserts expectations onto them. He genuinely, his kids, 
Jason, Nelson. He wants them all to grow up to not just be successful, but to maybe even be better people than he is. And you can tell that that's what makes Francois such a good parent. Yeah. Yeah. And because Jason, you know, we see more of Jason than we do of Nelson. And Jason does kind of have like a sense of maturity that's a little, it is a little beyond his young age. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think that it's kind of easy for Frank to sort of like forget that there's, there's still like kids that are developing and like learning and growing. But it's obviously, you know, I mean, it's obvious that he's really impacting them in such a positive way. I think maybe because Jason and Nelson were, I guess they were goofing around or something. And Francois was feeling the emotional weight because he's leaving this second family that he sees every year. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe he was a little perturbed that he wasn't at the level that they were. Yeah. But... Yeah, that they just weren't feeling the, the seriousness of the situation. And they, and they kind of talk about how, you know, it's Christmas Eve and they're trying to sort of spend as much time with Frank, with Francois as they can. But they also all want to be with their families and yeah. do their own sort of like holiday traditions. And this actually had me wondering if Angels actually did get to keep his kids with him for the yeah. holiday. They don't really go back to that. But yeah, so at some point they all have to say goodbye knowing that the next day they'll be like, oh, let's go back to the Christmas tree stand and then we'll yeah. be there. Francois does come home, hugs all his kids. His wife says that it's a, it's difficult to imagine his family down there because we are his family here. But she also takes great comfort that he has those people down there to get him through. 18 days later, there's tree refuse all over the city. Uh, I remember those those days very well. <laughs> we see doggies peeing on old trees. <laughs> yeah. Jason and Nelson load up some trees, take it down to the park. For what? What is it called? Did you see? Mulch fest. Mulch fest. Yeah. And it's mulch time, and they mulch the trees down, and they lay the mulch around the park. It's nice to know that it comes full circle, yeah. and that they they've got a good system to. To put that stuff down. 18 days later, though, it takes them a while to get to it. But, mm -hmm. well, New York's a big place, and there's a lot of leftover Christmas trees. And Jason ends by saying that... We're always here every year, no matter what our personal problems are, no matter what emotional ties that we're going through. We're always there to provide people with a sense of warmth and Christmas spirit. To know that we're all going to be taken apart, just like the stand. It hurts, but it's a part of the job. And, uh, if you didn't take it apart, it wouldn't be special anymore. And then we end the movie with the Mark Cohn song, Coldest Corner of the World. And that was that film, Tree Man. You can watch it on Netflix, directed by John Reiner and Brad Rothschild. And you can see a special um, cameo appearance by um, the... Monk's restaurant in Seinfeld. It's actually Tom's restaurant in New York. It's at the corner of Broadway and 112, I think. It's in the background of, I think, Molly and Katie's tree stand. So if you're watching and you're a Seinfeld fan, you can see it back there and it's really fun. <laughs> Ginger, we don't rate at a star rating scale. As for those pundits that talk about the war on Christmas, this illusion of the war on Christmas, we rate under the Herzog rating scale, the Herzog rating scale that knows that the true war takes place on Thanksgiving. But mm -hmm. when December comes, we have to lay the war down. Let Christmas time be Christmas time. I'm going to give this one through five Herzogs. You're going to give this one through five Herzogs. 
will bring them together like tinsel and lights and ornaments on a tree for best out of 10 Herzogs. Now, when I started watching Tree Man, my, my quills were out. I was like, you're not going to get me, Tree Man, in your heartwarming <laughs> tale of selling trees with your families and the, the, the way the neighborhood connects with you and the way you're helping families build new traditions through you and how kind you are and how much the city, uh, how much you give to the city and how much the city gives back to you and Jill uh, being real nice to you. And the guy, the urban landscaper, who takes your trees and beauties up his neighborhood. I didn't want to get into this. I didn't want my heart to grow 10 times that size that day. But God damn it, by the end of this movie, I was like, I think I literally wrote in my notes. Let me make sure I get it right here. God damn, my heart is warm. <laughs> when Christmas does come around, I start to lighten up a bit. Maybe it's because I know it's almost over. But when Christmas is here... I'm fine. It's Christmas. I live with it. I can enjoy it. I'm not that much of a Grinch. But with Tree Man, you know, I really connected with it. And it inspired us to have these interesting conversations about the city of New York. And we really saw the city through this guy from Quebec who sells trees. It really made me fascinated. And as much as, you know, I go back and forth on New York, gosh, Christmas in New York really does look magical. But this movie sells that while also showing the ups and downs of life within it. It wasn't hitting you over the head. It was just kind of being what it was. It wasn't trying to preach to you about anything. I do more preaching in this episode than this movie does about Christmas or whatever. It's just about family and connecting with people around you. But this movie runs the gamut and shows it as it is. And yeah, four out of five Herzogs. Not bad at all. Is that higher than you thought I would go? Uh, maybe a little bit. I, was, I wasn't really sure. What to expect. And speaking of not really knowing what to expect, I didn't really know what to expect going into this either. You know, I kind of started, started and it had like the Christmas music playing, like the voiceovers of the people being like, Christmas trees are special to me because this and that. And I was like, ah, yeah. uh, I don't know. I, but didn't, I did not like the first 15 minutes. I didn't, especially kind of coming after, you know, the last, this is very different than the last documentary that Bobby and I covered. Very, <laughs> very different. <laughs> Until the light takes us, <laughs> yeah. if you remember. Yeah, very different. Um, but you know, like like you said, as as it went on, it was really more about the the people and their connections and their relationships, and there was just enough of Christmas in New York to sort of like stoke the fires of nostalgia for me. I really, like I said before, I kind of, kind of made me homesick, and I just really liked the focus on the people and their interactions with the neighborhood and with each other. I thought it was pretty darn well done. And I think I'm going to give it a 4.25. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. You take my four, add it with your 4.25. Mm -hmm. What's that, that make? 8.25 out of 10 hertz songs. I got to say, it's a lot higher than what I thought without seeing this movie. It's a lot higher than what I thought this was going to be. Me too. This movie has a very real human charm in it. It is worth your time to check it out, even if you're a Grinch like yeah. I am. And I think especially, not not only if you live in New York, but, you know, I know for me, I kind of really recognized the people that I was, you know, I, I kind of feel like I knew people like Jason. I knew people like Angel. And it was really special for me to see them really kind of like get 
a, a positive light shined on on them and their lives, and I just thought it was really it was really nice. Francois and you, Francois, you want to come light my menorah? <laughs> And that's that movie, Tree Man, by John Reiner and Brad Rothschild. Last I checked, it was on Netflix. That's where we saw it. Mm-hmm. It's a good one to get your December mood started. Yeah. And on that note, we head off onto Santa's fucking sleigh mm-hmm. on the wrapped, reindeer. Wrapped like Christmas presents. That's right. And we will see you very soon. Oh, and folks, we're not taking a holiday break. We're not these lazy-ass podcasts. Christmas falls on a Tuesday. Our show releases on Tuesday. You know where you are getting a Christmas Day episode. That is the the gift that keeps on giving for a lifetime. Maybe I am in the spirit of all this. <laughs> you are the spirit of Christmas. Call me Santa Claus. <laughs> all right, folks. Uh, keep on talking. We betrayed him. Like circle jerks.